You're listening to the iHeartRadio Talk Network, and this is The Evan Solomon Show. Canada, the world is changing. I would say happy Thursday, but it's not a happy Thursday. Canada is home to the third largest Ukrainian, or the second largest diaspora in the world after Russia. And to our Ukrainian Canadians, we are with you today. As your country and your homeland is experiencing a full-scale invasion. The democracy of Ukraine is being invaded, unprovoked, brutally, bloodily, tragically, criminally by Russia. Russia amassed troops and lied. I can tell you they lied. I spoke just last month, weeks ago, to the Russian ambassador to Canada, Oleg Stepanov, who is still here. I explicitly said, sir, you've amassed 150,000 troops on the border of Ukraine. We pressed back and forth. Is Russia prepared to attack? And on January 20th, he looked me in the eye. And on national television, he lied. No, absolutely not. Russia is conducting regular exercises on its own territory, and there is no intent to invade Ukraine. There is no intent to invade Ukraine, he said. You can call it a propaganda, gaslighting, it's a lie. They knew they would. A country of 41 million people. In Europe, we have war in Europe. Today, we will take you on the ground. This is significant. It's a significant moment in our lives. My son last night said to me, Dad, am I going to have to fight in a war? 17 years old. No, I said. Because that's what you must say. I spoke to a friend of mine, son, who's in the reserves here. He said he's ready. Can you imagine we're talking about a war in Europe in 2022? It's on. It's happening. Today we're going to go on the ground. We're going to hear Joe Biden, the uh, president of the United States, is going to speak in about uh, 22 minutes. Boris Johnson, the British Prime Minister, is speaking now after the G7 leaders met. Today, he called this unprovoked attack. He said there's going to be the biggest package of sanctions ever against Russia. Almost all economic activity with Russia will cease. But Russia has a big stick, and that is that they export 70% of their natural gas to Europe. And they are prepared to cut the gas supply off. This is about to get very ugly. There's no other way to say it. Can't hope. You can't buy into Russian assurances. They are lies. They are lies. Today, we are going to go on the ground. A young man named Finn Deponche is going to join me. 
I spoke to him today. He's in Ukraine. He's in Kharkiv. Kharkiv is a second largest city in Ukraine. He's going to join us in about 15 minutes. He could hear the shelling all around him. He's stuck in his hotel. He's a journalist there. He's got there. He'll tell us what he's seeing. They're literally being bombed. Fins on the ground. Chris Alexander, the uh, former Canadian ambassador in Moscow, speaks Russian, knows Ukraine well. He's going to join us. Former minister, you know Chris Alexander. Dave Fraser, the retired major general who was the first Canadian to lead American troops in combat since the Second World War in Afghanistan, will join us. Justin Trudeau is going to speak live. We'll take that. Are sanctions enough? Vladimir Putin knew there would be sanctions and he does not care. What is motivating this? This attempt, brutal and irrational, to reconstruct the Cold War dynasty of the Soviet Union. Let me play you what it sounds like. If Remember on this program, we spoke to people in Kiev last night. People were dining. People were at restaurants. They're people like you and I. Moms and dads and boyfriends and girlfriends and people just going about their lives. This is what it sounds like in the state of emergency. The airport outside Kiev within 20 miles looks like it's been taken. This is not... This is not... Russia's taking a bite out of the Eastern. Remember we kept saying, oh, they're just, they just want the East. They just want the breakaway republics or areas, rather, in Donetsk. They don't. Right now, Russian troops are advancing from the north towards the capital of Kiev. They are going from the east through those regions, Donetsk, Luhansk, and where Finn de Ponche is in Kharkiv will be there. And they are coming up from where? The south. Why? That's Crimea. What's Crimea? Russia snatched Crimea in 2014. This is a long-established strategy by Vladimir Putin to test the West. And by the way, who's watching? The Chinese are watching. They want to snatch Taiwan. Reports are they've sent some jets into Taiwanese airspace. We're in a dangerous moment in the world, folks. I know we've just come through the trucker protests. and You want to know what tyranny is? And I know last night Justin Trudeau got rid of the Emergencies Act after 10 days. This is going to give you an idea. Now, now I'm not minimizing what we're doing here. We've got to guard our dem- democracies. But let me tell you, this is what a, ty- a tyrant does. He moves 200,000 troops in and slaughters people. And that's what's happening right now. Here's what it sounds like in Kiev. Just after 5 a.m. local time in Ukraine, just at sunrise, It started. Explosions heard in the distance of the nation's capital. This is Western Ukraine.
the president of Ukraine, President Zelensky, right after the attack, called it what it is, an attempt to destroy the democratic nation of Ukraine. Today, Russia began an attack on Ukraine. Putin began war against Ukraine, against the entire democratic world. He wants to destroy my country, our country, everything we've been building, everything we are living for. People are leaving. There's a mass exodus. Roads are clogged. Listen to some voices of Ukrainians fleeing for their lives. I'm going to my parents. Uh, they are living in the middle of Ukraine, and I think it's safer there. We're going to Cherkasy to our family to be together now in this not very safe time in Ukraine. We are going to go on the ground in a minute, but I, the NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg has just responded to the attacks. These are historic moments, and you should listen to them. This is the end of the peace of the Cold War. This is a new era. Here's Jens Stoltenberg. Peace on our continent has been shattered. We now have war in Europe on a scale and of a, and of a type we thought belonged to history. Those images of the Second World War, you thought in, the, in the, the, the war in the former Yugoslavia. Peace in our continent has been shattered. There is war in Europe. Where is this headed? We are going to go on the ground in one of the hot zones next with a, a Canadian correspondent there. We're going to take you live to the president, the prime minister, as we follow war in Europe, the attack on Ukraine. From coast to coast to coast, the newsmakers talk here. This is the Evan Solomon Show. The invasion of Ukraine is moving very, very quickly. Russian forces have swept into Ukraine from the east, the north, and from the south. The American president, U.S. President um, Joe Biden, is expected now to speak in about an hour. Justin Trudeau expecting to speak in 40 minutes. The British Prime Minister Boris Johnson just introduced more sanctions uh, and severe sanctions. Um, the G7 leaders met this morning. But what's it like on the ground? Finn de Pensier is a Canadian journalist. He's in Ukraine right now. He spent a lot of time reporting in places like Beirut. He is currently in the city of Kharkiv. Now, the, this is the second largest city in Ukraine. And if you don't know the map, this is in the kind of northeast part of Ukraine. Um, he is in a hotel with other journalists. Um, he is sheltered, but they could hear shelling. Uh, let's uh, bring in Finn de Pensier right now. Um, Finn, thank you, sir, for joining us. Uh, give me a sense of where you are and, and what you are seeing. Hey, Evan, thanks for having me. So like you said, I'm held up in uh, the Kharkiv Palace Hotel here with dozens of other journalists. I think pretty much everybody here is press or, I don't know, has some other reason for still being in this city. Um, I arrived here this morning at about 7 a.m. and the war started at about, I think, 5 in the morning. So on the train, people were just, you know, frantically checking news reports and calling their loved ones. And then uh, when we arrived in Kharkiv, it was just rush hour in the other direction. Um, everybody was catching what would be some of the last trains east. Um, and then we uh, we quickly got to this hotel because we were told that um, all the journalists 
uh, in the region had kind of fallen back to this location and that Moscow was aware of our presence. So uh, hopefully they uh, they refrain from making any attacks. Speaking of Finn DePanche, Canadian journalist in Ukraine, he writes for Palladium magazine. He's based in Beirut right now. Um, you're in Kharkiv. Um, what have you heard? Like, can you hear any shelling? Have you seen anything outside the windows? Give, a, give us a sort of on the ground what you're seeing in that city. Yeah, so uh, we can't hear anything right now. And we're actually getting reports that the Ukrainians repelled a Russian attack earlier today. Although the video that I saw, um, which purported to show that, uh, it looked like it was filmed at about 5 or 6 p.m. And then we could hit, hear shelling at around you know 9 or 10 p.m. Um, or no, sorry, earlier than that. But anyway, um, so the streets are pretty much emptied at the um, at the local administrative building. Uh, they have some they have, they have a heavily reinforced perimeter and um, uh, Ukrainian militias are arming in the square. Um we spoke to a woman who had hitchhiked from Donbass, and now she was trying to hitchhike across Kharkiv again to get to, I think it was her, her aunt's house, but that's now uh, past the past the line of contact. Um, and I don't think she knew that when she when she spoke to us, but she was trying to get uh, she was trying to get a ride from from the police, and they just kind of shrugged her off. So uh, there's 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 a lot of people that are just stranded, cut off from their loved ones, cut off from uh, you know vital vital pieces of infrastructure and you know they're 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 in a place that isn't their home um but yeah the ukrainians have repelled this attack Mm. um however i'm not convinced the city is uh going to withstand another attack because ultimately this is a war of attrition in which russia has significantly more resources and once they decide to devote more resources to the kharkiv front i think it's only a matter of time before the city falls yeah, so so I'm speaking to Finn DePolish. He writes for Palladium Magazine, and I've known Finn for for many years. And uh, Finn, you you went to Kharkiv, you and obviously you got there. Um, I don't think there was an expectation that this invasion would go this quickly. This is one of those moments where uh, many thought it would take days and days, but this push from the north. Um, and I should also tell you, Finn. I don't know if you're aware that sanctions that. Um, the, the the UK has just slapped on um, will include sanctions from Belarus, who they say are on Belarus, who they say are aiding and abetting the Russian attack. Yeah, they certainly are. And we saw videos of uh, Russian and I think Belarusian. I'm not exactly sure about this, but certainly Russian troops were moving into Ukraine uh, across the Belarusian border, uh, which is just north of here. Like you said earlier, Kharkiv is in the in the most northeastern part of Ukraine. Uh, Finn, Finn DePanche, are there, can you move around the city or are you locked down? Are you, you know, give me, give me a sense of, of the level of, of like, it's very quiet there. Uh, I guess it's yeah. just about seven thirty at night there for you right now. Like, That's can right. you get food? Are you moving around? Are you guys sheltered in the basement? What's the story? So, uh, the, the city is completely quiet. The city center, uh, isn't coming under any attack, but um, a couple of my colleagues traveled about 10 blocks out uh, towards the outskirts and, and, and saw the saw the soldiers moving into combat positions. Uh, my, my colleague uh, Colin Mayfield here from from Alabama said that he saw a number of soldiers, which he suspected to be underage. And you're and talking about Ukrainian soldiers as a defensive perimeter. 
Yeah, this is what he uh, this is this is what he uh, assumed having having looked at them. They looked very young, uh, and there's only a few of them. But this is certainly something that desperate armies um, do in, in in a last stand. Um, but anyway, the the city center is 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 completely is completely empty, uh, except for a few stragglers. Um, like I said, we can hear shelling in the distance. Uh, there's some, there, there, there's you know we we can see uh militias you know rogue militia members you know uh wandering about presumably um linking up with their comrades um and it's just like you know and are people of... fleeing the city the way they are kiev we've we've seen long lines of cars fin de Ponce. yeah well they did earlier um when i first arrived in kharkiv like i said the um, it was just an absolute zoo at the train station as people were um, making sure to, to the last train to Kiev and now there's no more trains leaving the city. Um, but the city is pretty much surrounded now. Um, and while we did, well, we did get a report that Ukrainians um, repelled this recent attack. Uh, it's, it's not clear how anybody would get out of the city and, and we're all just kind of staying put until further notice. And, so, and, and what will you do? Like if it's surrounded and get takes taken over, what's the plan fin de Pontier? I mean, we're just trying to, um, I think the best course of action is, is to stay put. There's two, uh, there's two possibilities here. The first one being that, um, the Ukrainians lay down their arms and the second being that Russia shoots their way in, um, either way, it's really not wise to, try to go up to the line of contact and, 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 you know, drive back to Kiev. We were discussing this uh, in the morning when it was clear that um, the Russians were surrounding the city and, and many journalists did decide to leave, but we figured it would be significantly more dangerous to drive across the country uh, where there's, you know, very heavy fighting in the countryside and where we wouldn't have strength in numbers. And that really is the key point for us journalists here. There's dozens of us. And like I said, the, that Moscow has been aware of our presence here. So we're not expecting the building to be shelled. Um, I guess, uh, you know, a nightmare scenario could be that Ukrainian forces take up a defensive posture here and then the Russians attack that way. But I, I doubt that's going to happen. Okay. Uh, Finn DePolisha, let's stay in touch. I really appreciate it. As you know, as we always say, stay safe. And I know you're taking the right precautions. Canadian journalist, you can check his work out in Palladium magazine. Uh, Finn Deponche is in Kharkiv, the second largest city in Ukraine. As he says, it's surrounded. Uh, night is falling there. The Russian attack is escalating. What began as air attacks is now uh, paving the way for a lot uh, of ground troops moving in. Uh, and uh, Finn, please take care. We'll, we'll be in, in close touch with you, sir. Take it easy. Yeah, thank you so much, Evan. Bye. That's Finn de Ponche. Um, coming up next, we're going to go to a, an independent journalist in Ukraine as well. She's now in a safe location, but she will not disclose her exact location due to security concerns. What I want to do with us today, Canada, is I want to take you on the ground to people who are like Finn and Olga. Who's next? They're on the ground. What's it like now as your country is literally being invaded by the Russians? The Russians. Then Chris Alexander, the former cabinet minister, former ambassador, deputy head of mission in the Canadian embassy in Moscow, speaks perfect Russian, knows Ukraine extremely well. Uh, Chris is going to join us. Joe Biden's going to speak. Uh, Prime Minister Harper, Prime Minister Trudeau is going to speak. Dave Fraser, the retired Major General, will join us. I'm going to try to give you all the information you need to know to understand there is a war in Europe. And we'll take you on the ground again next.
through the changes. Here's Evan Solomon. There is a war now in Europe. This is the biggest invasion we've seen since the Second World War. This is an extraordinary moment. And I'm trying to make sure you appreciate the gravity of the situation as we wait for Joe Biden, the U.S. president, and Justin Trudeau, the prime minister, to speak. We'll take that live. The G7 is responding with massive sanctions. But is that enough? Russia doesn't care. They have invaded from the north, the east, and the south. They are not taking a bite out of the eastern regions that some in the west, quote, hoped. They had lied about it. The Russians are invading the entire country of 41 million people. Cities are surrounded. There is heavy fighting already. And Olga Tokariak is a Ukrainian independent journalist and a fellow at the Center for European Policy Analysis. She is in Ukraine right now. We will not disclose her exact location for safety reasons. Olga, thank you for joining us. Um, Canada, home to many Ukrainian Canadians, uh, is very much uh, thinking of you and your entire country. Can you give us the latest, what you're seeing and what is going on on the ground around you? Hello, and uh, thank you for having me. Um, I think, yes, Canadian audience should be watching very closely what is happening because of the big presence of the Ukrainian diaspora there, but also because what is happening in Ukraine is not a threat to Ukraine, it's not a threat to Europe, it's a threat to global peace and stability. Uh, Ukraine has been attacked and invaded by Russia without any reason, you know, a peaceful country that wants, uh, wanted uh, to be democratic, to be aligned with the, aligned with the Western institutions. Uh, it, it got invaded just because of that, because of its people's desire to uh, live a better life. And we are seeing uh, um, um, airstrikes on all territory of Ukraine, uh, east, uh, south, north, and west of the country. We are seeing Russian troops crossing from the territory of neighboring Belarus from the occupied Crimea. Uh, a lot of people are now in Kyiv uh, hiding in bomb shelters because the sirens were going off again in Kyiv. Uh, and there are fears that Russian forces might try to take Ukrainian capital. The latest news we are receiving is that uh, Chernobyl nuclear power plant has been seized by uh, Russian occupying forces and also a military airfield Hostomel near Kyiv after several hours of fierce battles also has been uh, in the hands have been seized by by Russian military. These are extremely dangerous developments. Uh, you know, a lot lives of millions of people uh, of people are at stake. Forty million people live in Ukraine. Ukraine is the largest country in Europe, and uh, what is happening now might, you know, be just a precursor to a larger humanitarian catastrophe that is that might uh, that will most likely evolve in the coming hours and days. Olga, I just want to remind our Canadian listeners across this country, as you're listening to Olga, she's in a safe location on the ground in Ukraine. If there is such thing as a safe location, uh, when Olga says that the Russian forces, after a fierce battle, have taken Chernobyl, of course, a major nuclear power station, that is on the border. Chernobyl is very near Belarus on the border, and it sits just north of the capital of Kiev. So if you're looking at a map in Kiev, you go directly up uh, north uh, towards Belarus, and you will start to see Chernobyl. Uh, what does that tell you, Olga, about how close Russians are and Russian troops to in taking the capital city of Kiev? 
Well, in this sense, I think the control of the hostile military airfield near Kiev is, is crucial and is more important than them having control over Chernobyl nuclear power plant. Chernobyl is rather, you know, a threat of uh, another environmental disaster because no one can be sure of safety of uh, nuclear waste stored there uh, until the plant is un in control, you know, of, of Russian military forces. So no safety of, of, of Europe can be ensured. Uh, in terms of uh, uh, risk and the danger of Kiev being captured, though, um, the, the seizure of military airfield is more uh, dangerous, and there are reports in Ukrainian media that uh, uh, planes are um, flying out of Russia, directed to Kyiv, and there might be an attempt by Russian forces to overthrow the government in Kyiv in the coming hours. And, of course, it's a terrifying situation for millions of people who live in Kyiv. It's a big city of three to four million people. Some of these people have left in the last hours, but there are huge traffic jams on the roads on the exit roads from Kyiv. So uh, I think it's just a minority who managed to leave and majority of Kyiv's population still stay there. There are a lot of people with small children, my friends, who are cu currently sheltering in, in, in bomb, bomb shelters. And if Kyiv were to fall, you know, that would be a huge disaster and a huge blow to uh, Ukraine that has been demonstrating incredible resilience. And Ukrainian soldiers are um, fighting heroically against a much stronger enemy in these hours, you know, losing lives. And uh, be because they have a lot to lose, you know, they have to defend their country. Millions of lives are at stake. Peace in Europe, peace in the world is at stake. And the West should react uh, to what is happening. And, you know, I think the reaction so far was pretty weak and more action should be taken right now. I'm speaking to Olga Tukariak, a Ukrainian independent journalist, fellow at the Center for European Policy Analysis. She's in Ukraine. She's on the ground. There is a fear the capital will fall. Um, if it does, so two, two, th let me pick two things up there, Olga. One, if the capital falls, what is the expectation for the Ukrainian government? What happens then? And two, there are supposed to be a massive package of sanctions coming from the West you say that's not enough. What does Ukraine need from NATO and from the West? Well, if, if Kyiv falls, you know, and Ukrainian government falls and some kind of a puppet regime is installed in Ukraine, uh, we can expect even the, if the war uh, military action ceases, we can expect a wave of repressions against uh, Ukrainians who are unwilling to support any kind of Russian occupation. You know, there is absolutely no appetite in Ukraine to welcome Russian invaders. So we can uh, expect a lot of uh, killings of uh, activists, politicians, and there were reports by the Western intelligence in the recent days that journalists, activists, um, uh, various representatives of civil society, public opinion leaders uh, could be targeted and killed if, uh, if there is Russian occupation of Ukraine. So uh, a terror for civilian population might ensue, and also, uh, you know, what the West can do. Uh, the sanctions are not there yet. That's why I'm saying uh, the West is not doing enough, because the sanctions are not there yet, and the sanctions would not be enough. You know, there are also other ways to uh, stop Putin, because he's gone full Hitler, what he's doing now, but, and attacking an independent sovereign state for no reason. Uh, so what can the West do? Russia should be kicked out of all international organizations. It's a huge hypocrisy that Russia is sitting at the presidency of the UN Security Council at the very moment when it's invading Ukraine. Uh, 
uh, Russian citizens should be denied visas to uh, to democratic and Western uh, Western countries. Uh, Russian assets in the West should be seized. President Putin personally should be sanctioned. But also the West should support Ukraine. It should provide military assistance to Ukraine. It should provide economic financial assistance. And it should provide humanitarian assistance. It should prepare to a big wave of Ukrainian refugees. There are also other options that are not yet on the table, such as no-fly zone over Ukraine. It has been raised by Ukrainian officials in the recent hours. I think, you know, what is happening now is extraordinary. And the response should be extraordinary, too. Those measures that were not on the table yesterday should be on the table and should be discussed today. Olga, um, listen, uh, Olga Tekariak is a Ukrainian independent journalist and a fellow at the Center for European Policy Analysis. Olga, um, I also host our, our national political program across Canada at 5 p.m. Eastern time here, Power Play. I hope that we can continue our conversation. Your voice is absolutely vital. We'll stay in touch with you. Canadians need to hear uh, your perspective and what's happening on the ground. And Olga, we will be in touch with you. Uh, We are thinking about your country. Canadians are deeply, deeply concerned and connected. And we will stay in touch with you, Olga. Thank you so much. Thank you, and please put pressure on your government to support Ukraine and to stop Putin. Olga Tokariak, uh, thank you. Olga, please stay safe. These are very dangerous hours for her and all her fellow citizens. We're going to take a break. Uh, We are waiting to hear from the U.S. president. We're waiting to hear from the Canadian prime minister, the former ambassador and the former minister and the former deputy head of mission in Moscow. Chris Alexander joins us. What can the West do? Making sense of the latest news. You're listening to The Evan Solomon Show. I keep repeating these words and it's hard to believe that we're saying there's a war in Europe. A Russian invasion of a democracy of 41 million people. The biggest invasion since the Second World War. Russian troops pouring across the borders in the north the east, the south, the capital of Ukraine, Kiev, is in a fierce fight for control over key areas on the outskirts of the city. They're shelling all over the country. Russia lied. Vladimir Putin, the idea he had peacekeeping forces or they were doing a training mission, we know it was a lie. We know it. And the question is now what? Today there's going to be a massive call on the G7 for a massive package of sanctions. There were sanctions after Russia snatched Crimea in 2014. Putin didn't care. What is driving Putin? Why does he want to do this? This invasion is significantly bigger than many thought. Chris Alexander is the former federal cabinet minister under Stephen Harper, former ambassador to places not only like for the United Nations in places like Afghanistan, but he was the deputy head of mission in the Canadian embassy in Moscow. He knows the city well. He knows the Russians well. He knows the Ukraine well. And he joins us now. Uh, Chris Alexander, you're watching the situation closely. First of all, give us your sense of what Vladimir Putin is doing and why this invasion is on the scale that we are seeing now. 
Well, I think you're absolutely right, Evan. He's trying to take over the country. He um, wasn't satisfied with just that piece that he occupied in 2014. That was 7% of the territory. He now wants uh, to take all of Ukraine and basically make it uh, a Russian satellite, a Russian province. He's motivated by empire. He's motivated by his own experience as a KGB officer sitting in Dresden in the late 80s when the Berlin Wall came down and then after that the Soviet Union dissolved. For him, that was a tragedy. He said it was the greatest catastrophe of the 20th century. And here he is 20 years into his presidency, having amassed finally the forces uh, necessary to impose Russia's will on what he takes to be part of Russia. And this is the scary part, because his intent is not just military, it's genocidal. And you know the Genocide Convention uh, is about uh, you know, making it a crime to erase a people. To And we've had our own tragedies on this score. We're still grappling with these issues in Canada. But imagine a major European the leader of a major European country seeking to erase the identity, culture, state institutions, military, you know, in his crazy speech that was published this morning, he said he doesn't want to occupy Ukraine. He just wants to demilitarize it and denazify it. He thinks that the democracy that's emerged there, the freedom of speech, the links with Europe, the civil society, the respect for lesbian gays, the uh the the diversity that ukraine has that some of their leaders under are a jewish. jewish under a jewish president exactly um wh- whose parents whose grandparents i think died in the holocaust that these are nazis um and so all of that is of course code for saying he wants control he's going to impose it by fear he's going to use kgb tactics if they take control of parts of the country as they seem to be doing they're going to be executing people and sending others to siberia it's it's a catastrophe unlike anything we've seen in our lifetimes speaking to you chris alexander who knows russia lived for a long time in moscow knows ukraine well knows these areas one of the things that vladimir putin said in, in a speech where he literally described Ukraine is a fictional country, and he's trying to erase the legitimacy of Ukraine. But he said any other countries who are interfering with the invasion, quote, will bring such consequences as you have never before experienced in your history, said Vladimir Putin. I'm speaking to Chris Alexander. Chris, what is he talking about? Is he talking about nuclear weapons? Is he talking about cyber attacks? Is he talking about an invasion of other countries? He's... This is a regular tactic for Russian leaders, even before Putin. Um, He's talking about nuclear weapons. If he's saying, if you, Lithuania, or you, Poland, uh, who are on the eastern flank of NATO already, and and where people are worried that if Ukraine falls or this war um, gets out of control, that they're next, that they could be uh, a target for an empowered Russian army, a Russian army that... um, wanted to slice through more of Europe. And so Putin uh, is trying to deter, literally, NATO involvement in this fight with uh, statements like that. But here's the bottom line, Evan. The Ukrainians will not hold out 
without the support of their allies and partners in NATO, including Canada. And I don't know what discussions are taking place in NATO today or the G7, but and isolating, putting an embargo on Russia, uh, 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 shunning Russia is hugely important. Uh, you know, getting them out of financial markets, getting their people out of our capitals, the ones who've been part of this war machine, that has to be done. But the most important discussion is military. Uh, we have given some support to the Ukrainians, but not enough to deter Putin. We need to find ways of keeping up that support because Putin is not going to be able to take mm. all of Ukraine and hold all of Ukraine easily. Uh, Boris Johnson has said there should be an irregular resistance fight that we support down the road. I think there are things we can do uh, more immediately, like talk about a no-fly zone. Speaking of Chris Alexander, i got a minute here. We're waiting for the president, waiting for Justin Trudeau. Sanctions aren't enough, though, Chris? No, Putin doesn't really fear sanctions. Um, his economy's already drifted down since he started invading countries. He's the guy that pounds his chest and, and yells patriotic slogans and expects people to follow. What's going to hurt him is failure. What's going to hurt him is an inability to do what he said he would do militarily enough in uh, Ukraine. Uh, and this does link on to Afghanistan because we showed weakness there. We need to show strength in Ukraine uh, by finding ways to support mm. the brave people that are fighting there now. I should say this, and I'm speaking to Chris Alexander. China's watching closely. Let's not forget Taiwan. It's not for today, but there's no question, Chris, the Chinese are watching, no? Absolutely. And this is a major precedent. If Putin gets away with this, we will be living with a much uh, a Europe that is less safe, a world that is less safe. Uh, I mean, there's a reason why people are using this lofty language. These are principles that have given us huge opportunities since 1945. If these principles get blown up uh, by Putin's army, we're in a new world. We right. It's our fight. We need to stand for these principles. We are in a new world right now. Chris Alexander, former cabinet minister, minister, former ambassador, uh, spent a lot of time in the region. I know we'll be speaking soon. Chris, I can't tell you how much I appreciate your perspective on this. Listen closely, folks. It's a new world. The stakes could not be higher. Uh, Justin Trudeau set to speak in a number of minutes. So as Joe Biden will take a break on the Evan Solomon show. War in Europe. Those are the terms. War in Europe. A Russian invasion. This is a new world, folks. You're listening to the iHeartRadio Talk Network, and this is The Evan Solomon Show. Justin Trudeau is expected to speak in a number of minutes. The G7 has met... And they have a massive package of sanctions against the Russians. And here comes Justin Trudeau right now. Boris Johnson has also said that the NATO will convene a meeting tomorrow morning. Um, and NATO needs to bolster its capacities as the Russian threat has loomed. The, UA, the UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson spoke this morning. I'm going to play you a clip of what he talked about in terms of trying to punish the Russians for this unprecedented, dangerous and illegal invasion of Ukraine. At the G7 meeting this afternoon, we agreed to work in unity to maximize the economic price that Putin will pay for his aggression. And this must include 
ending Europe's collective dependence on Russian oil and gas. I want to just pause there. You will learn a lot. And here comes the prime minister right now about uh, Russian energy uh, and the threat to cut off energy. But we are about to go. Here's breaking news right now. Let's listen in. Here's Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. Let's listen in. Merci d'être ici. Je suis accompagné aujourd'hui de la vice-première ministre Freeland et des ministres Jolie et Anand. On est ici aujourd'hui pour parler de la situation en Ukraine. The unjustifiable attack by Russia of Ukraine is unacceptable. Ukrainians woke up to the brutal, terrifying reality of war. President Putin has launched a horrific, unprovoked attack on their country, a sovereign nation, including missile strikes in their capital, Kiev. He has needlessly put the lives of innocent people at risk, violated Russia's international treaties, and launched the greatest threat to European stability since World War II. Canada is unequivocal in our condemnation of Russia's unprovoked and unjustified attack on the sovereign, democratic state of Ukraine. President Putin's brazen disregard for international law, democracy, and human life are a massive threat to security and peace around the world. I just spoke a few minutes ago with President Zelensky. I told him that we are announcing strong action today and continue to stand with him and with the Ukrainian people. Earlier this morning, I met with G7 partners to coordinate our response. We're also working closely with NATO and our allies. Together, we have made clear that Russian violence, aggression, and violation of international law will not go unpunished. We stand united and steadfast in our support of Ukraine's sovereignty, and we stand in solidarity with the Ukrainian people's right to decide their own future in a free and democratic state. On Tuesday, after President Putin's recognition of the so-called independent states of Donetsk and Luhansk, Canada announced an initial series of concerted sanctions. Canada's sanctions target those responsible for illegal actions in Russia as well as two Russian banks supported by the state. Moreover, we've prohibited Canadians from buying Russian sovereign debt. It will be forbidden to participate in any financial transaction with the so-called independent states of Donetsk and Luhansk. We also announced the deployments of up to 460 additional Canadian forces troops to support Operation Reassurance under NATO and to favor peace and security in Europe. Reckless and dangerous military strike, we are imposing further severe sanctions. These sanctions will target 58 individuals and entities, including members of the Russian elite and their family members, as well as the Wagner Group and major Russian banks, among others. We will also sanction members of the Russian Security Council, including the Defense Minister, the Finance Minister, and the Justice Minister. In addition, 
effectively immediately effective immediately we are ceasing all export permits for Russia and canceling existing permits these sanctions are wide reaching they will impose severe costs on complicit Russian elites and they will limit president Putin's ability to continue funding this unjustified invasion Today, in light of Russia's reckless and dangerous military strike, we are imposing further severe sanctions. These sanctions are wide-reaching. They will bring about major sanctions for members of the Russian elite and will prevent President Putin from financing this unjustified attack. I want to be clear, Russia's attack against Ukraine is also an attack against democracy, international law, and freedom. Russia's attack on Ukraine is also an attack on democracy, on international law, on human rights, and on freedom. Russia's actions stand in direct opposition to the democratic principles that generations of Canadians have fought to protect. Democracies and democratic leaders everywhere must come together to defend these principles and stand firmly against authoritarianism. Russia must immediately cease all hostile actions against Ukraine and withdraw all military and proxy forces from the country. people must be free to determine their own future. I want to be clear. Our quarrel is not with the people of Russia. It is with President Putin and Russian leadership that has enabled and supported this further invasion of Ukraine. La vérité the truth is that Russia has been violating Ukraine's sovereignty for years. In 2014, it illegally annexed Crimea. Since then, it has never stopped arming democracy in Ukraine. And today, President Putin opened a new dark chapter of this story by launching a widespread ranging invasion. Disturbing times for the international community and for people everywhere who care about freedom and democracy. And while the eyes of the world are on leaders, we can never lose sight of the human cost of conflict. Innocent people, including children, are now facing violence and chaos. In these dark hours, Canada's message to the people of Ukraine is this. You are not alone. We are standing with you. For Canadians and permanent residents in Ukraine, your safety and security are now our top priority. We also want to make sure that you can get to safety. We've arranged for safe passage for you and your families at the land borders with Poland, Slovakia, Hungary, Romania, and Moldova. We are urgently issuing travel documents for affected Canadians, permanent residents, and their immediate family members. We're also prioritizing immigration applications for Ukrainians who want to come to Canada. And to ensure we can serve people as quickly as possible, today we are launching a new dedicated phone line for anyone at home or abroad with urgent Ukraine-related immigration questions. Au Canadien...
to Canadians and permanent residents in Ukraine. Your safety and security are our top priority. So breaking news, Canada joins G7 leaders, cancels all export permits to Russia, new sanctions on Russia on dozens of entities and individuals and banks, and will support people fleeing from other countries. Justin Trudeau making a breaking news announcement Uh, We're waiting for Joe Biden. I'm going to take a break. We're going to come back. There's going to be questions. The defense minister, the finance minister, and the foreign affairs minister are standing with Justin Trudeau. Um, Justin Trudeau addressing Canadians and Ukrainian Canadians. But the major announcement, new and more severe sanctions. The big question, is this enough? You are listening to The Evan Solomon Show. We are live here. We'll come right back with lots more on the breaking news, war in Ukraine. As your world changes, we adapt to get your answers. Now more with Evan Solomon. Welcome back. Uh, We have breaking news right now. Justin Trudeau has just announced new levels of sanctions against Ukraine. He, the foreign affairs minister, the defense minister, the finance minister are speaking now. Uh, The prime minister just finished speaking. Here's what he said about uh, the kind of new sanctions Canada, along with its partners in the G7, are slapping on Russia. Today, in light of Russia's reckless and dangerous military strike, we're imposing further severe sanctions. These sanctions will target 58 individuals and entities, including members of the Russian elite and their family members, as well as the Wagner Group and major Russian banks, among others. Canada is also putting sanctions on high-profile Russian politicians, but most importantly, Halting all export permits. Listen to this. Effective immediately, we are ceasing all export permits for Russia and canceling existing permits. The U.S. president is about to speak in about nine minutes. Is this even remotely enough? Uh, Vladimir Putin assumed this would happen. He does not care. He is now engaged in a war in Europe, the biggest invasion that we've seen since the Second World War. This is a major catastrophe and a geopolitically significant event. Scott Reed, CTV News political commentator, uh, who was the former comms director for Paul Martin, joins me now. Um, Canada is trying to respond to this along with its G7 partners, but uh, Putin is clearly, Scott, testing the West And he has tested it since he snatched Crimea in 2014. He has deemed it too weak to stop him. Now what? Now what is exactly the the question? So now what is what we're witnessing? Uh, This will be our immediate reply. So you saw Boris Johnson, the United Kingdom, half an hour ago announcing similar similar sanctions to what we've imposed. So we're going for the wallets right now. We're shutting down, trying to isolate Russia, trying to sever it from the international financial system, and in particular, trying to target its citizens who have bank accounts around the world and financial interests around the world in the hope that by targeting those people, robbing the wealthy of 
their wealth, that they will put internal pressure and that will create problems for Putin at home. But as we know, he is a strong man. He is in complete control of the apparatus of government. Those rich Russian citizens exist at his leisure. They have been essentially uh, bequeathed their riches thanks to his uh, you know, kleptocracy of a government. So I'm not certain that it's going to do much good. We'll hear as well from the U.S. President at 130. But you know, the big question is this. Uh, if he's intent on gobbling up territory and he has a much more robust military machine at his ready now than he did at the borders in 2014, is the only thing that will stop him an equal show of force. And that's a very, very difficult prospect because if NATO and G7 and other Western countries want to assemble troops, um, we're not just talking about gun barrels, we're talking about nuclear arsenals. Speaking to Scott Reed, um, some people say, well, look, uh, why would we? Ukraine is not a NATO ally. Let me just tell you, um, the coalition that defended Kuwait in the Gulf War, the first Gulf War, Kuwait wasn't a NATO ally. Uh, this, is on, this is in Europe. Uh, this is on the border of countries where we have Canadian troops like Latvia. Uh, this is a major, major moment. How significant is this as a challenge to NATO? And has it exposed all of the fact that we have not been paying our, our insurance policy bills for NATO and now that bill is coming due? Possibly. I don't know that the problem we're going to find in the next week is that NATO doesn't have resources that it's ready. Um, I mean, that's an important public policy question. I don't mean to be uh, dismissive of it. But I think the real, more fundamental fact is this. Uh, since 2014, uh, Putin's been learning. Uh, and he's been waiting for a moment. The moment is now. He thinks the Western world is weary. He thinks the Western world is divided. The pandemic has preoccupied its political leaders and its populations at home. Um, he thinks that he has uh, watched the um, the, the conservative and right movements across the Western world, and particularly in the United States, splinter. You hear voices not just uniformly uh, condemning him, but many voices on the right in the United States celebrating him, even today. And so I think he thinks the West is weak. He thinks that they aren't willing to expend the capital that is required to stop him. And that's why this is not the attack that people suspected. The Hawks thought he was going to go for a small portion of territory. That's that, right. In fact, he's unleashed attacks all across Ukraine. His ambitions look to be much more uh, meal-sized than we expected. And so I guess my reply to you, and it's easy to sound tough from an armchair or sitting somewhere, but you know, if you don't stop this guy now, um, how will you stop him later? And don't you simply teach him uh, that might is right and he should take what he wants. It's an illegal act that he's perpetrating. But and he's already been taught that. He taught that when he snatched, by the way, Anita Nan, the defense minister speaking now as I speak to Scott Reed. In 2014, he tested. He's playing a long game. Snatched Crimea, nothing. Snatched Georgia before that, nothing. You You know the drill. This may be different. This is an invasion of the scope and scale we have never seen since the Second World War. And there, I don't know what the appetite for the West is to fight this outside of economically, Scott. I, well, you know, it's, an, it's the fundamental question. But there may only be one other alternative, and that is to permit him to succeed. And I know people bristle at Second World War comparisons, but 
this comparison is apt. He is illegally seizing territory that does not belong to him. And if we let him take the equivalent of the student land, he will go for all of Poland. That is a certainty. He will not stop with Ukraine. He wants to reassemble the Russian Federation as the Soviet Union in its grandest possible measure. And that means that he will be attacking others that are, by the way, uh, some of which are um, members of the NATO alliance. So, you know, from my perspective, I think we're moving toward a place where containment looks very difficult and um, he has to be stopped because he won't halt. And by the way, and I want to underscore this, he has assembled a military presence that is unlike that which he assembled for Georgia and unlike that which he assembled for Crimea. So, you know, he's ready for a different kind of rumble. Let, let's put aside the nightmare scenario of NATO troops on the ground in Ukraine. It's not that it's not possible. It's, it was unthinkable. It's now obviously very possible. But the economic sanctions, this is soon going to be an energy war. Russia will threaten to cut off energy supplies. Gazaprom, their biggest natural gas company, lost 50% of its value. 70% of their exports go to Europe. Europe, Germany, which depends on their natural gas, has about six weeks of reserve, as I understand, Scott. This becomes a deadly economic war, I think, before anything else. Russia will threaten to turn off. There'll be cyber attacks on Europe. There'll be uh, turning off energy. Energy prices will spike. We will feel it here economically. And I think that's what Putin's planning on. I mean, you know, I think at minimum his midterm play is he thinks that this aggression will be rewarded two, three, four weeks down the road with an, an effort to do shuttle diplomacy, uh, to surrender some of the seized uh, parcels of land that he's taken in exchange for some return to normalcy and a promise that his aggressions will halt going forward. Well, hello, Mr. Chamberlain. I, and I, I just, uh, you know, it's you put your finger on that. It's not a hard uh, issue to identify. It's what is the appetite in the West for doing what it will take to stop this guy. And my guess is bank accounts and, you know, s- cyber fiddling isn't going to do the trick. I think we all know that one thing about Vladimir Putin, he did not, he's not taken surprise by these sanctions. This is the playbook. He clearly is sitting on a big pile of cash from rising energy prices, and he believes he can, as he did in Crimea, withstand this. As Scott Reed, I appreciate you joining us. Um, as my son probably, and I'm sure for your son, they're, they're worried about the future suddenly in a way that they never have been. I'm going to take Absolutely. a break. Um, Justin Trudeau and the defense minister and the finance minister and the foreign affairs minister are, are speaking. Mr. Trudeau has not been speaking since what we played for you live. What I'll do is I'll take a break. Uh, we will come back, uh, retired Major General Dave Fraser, who commanded American troops in Afghanistan, the first Canadian to do so since the Second World War, will join us. But when there are questions to the prime minister, we will take that live. I want you to be able to hear um, questions and how he answers, how far will Canada go? And how will Canada and the G7 stop Russia's invasion? So we'll take a break. We'll be right back. There's lots of news going on here, folks. You are listening to a breaking news press conference. Justin Trudeau, the finance minister and the defense minister and the foreign affairs minister are all announcing new sanctions. Canada has slapped new sanctions on 
Russia after the invasion. They've also put 3,400 um, 3, troops on standby here in Canada, which is a pretty extraordinary thing. Uh, Canada has shipped $10 million worth of lethal weapons that have landed and are apparently already uh, in the hands of the Ukrainian military, according to the defense minister. Um, the prime minister is speaking now, taking questions, and so is the uh, f- um, finance minister who speaks Ukrainian and Russian uh, and knows this area very well. Christian Friedland, let's listen in. And if Russia succeeds, then that order will be breached. And we can't let that happen. We can't let that happen because that would be devastating for the world. And it would be really bad for Canada. Canada was one of the countries that built the rules-based international order after the Second World War. Canadians fought and died to build that order. And they did that because they cared about the world, but they also did it because they understood that as a middle power, as a democracy, we really need those rules to be firmly in place. So yes, it is a moment of grave danger. And that's why when all of us said today that the people of Ukraine are fighting for their own democracy and their own sovereignty, but they're fighting for all of us. And that's why we need to support them. Next question. Radio-Canada, two days ago, you announced the first wave of sanctions. That did not stop Vladimir Putin. Do we really think that more sanctions will change anything? Or are we faced an irrational actor before which sanctions will change absolutely nothing? We saw to what extent it's important for Putin to justify himself by using lies and propaganda for his actions when it comes to communicating with the Russian population. For the past few weeks, or even the past few years, he's been controlling the media. He uses a lot of propaganda tools to convince Russians of some justification, a false one, for his actions, for the threat, the so-called threat represented by Ukraine. Russia, even if it's an autocracy and not a democracy, Putin needs to explain that it's in the interest of his population to take action in an unjustified and unjustifiable way against Ukraine. The sanctions, not just the sanctions, but the unity that we're demonstrating right now when faced with his actions, if it's the G7, NATO, Europe, or all the countries of the world that are condemning this action, which happened in Ukraine, but could have happened anywhere else, will make it extremely expensive for the Russian economy, for the state, for its leaders, but also for all those who support them. We know 
that this will really hurt people who are going to ask for better explanations, better answers from Putin, who cannot offer any, because this is completely unjustified and unjustifiable. He invaded a sovereign country. I understand, but that doesn't really answer the question, will this change anything? You said he's a dictator, he's acting in bad faith, he's a liar. Will sanctions change anything? Is there a context in which we might go further by sending the Canadian army to fight next to the Ukrainians? We know full well that this will have an impact on Russia. These sanctions, not just by Canada, but by European countries, the United States, Great Britain, and other allies worldwide, who are coming together to state very clearly, we're not accepting this. We do not accept that Vladimir Putin is choosing to completely disregard the rules that kept us safe and stable worldwide for 75 years. It's not just an attack against the territorial integrity of Ukraine. It's an attack against democratic principles that we had established firmly, the UN rules, and this endangers us all. That's why the entire world is reacting firmly to make sure that Putin fails in his attempt to draw some advantage for his own personal glory or for Russia. Next question. CBC. Can you provide more detail in terms of the sanctions you're bringing in today? The ones that, uh, targeted at individuals, are you freezing assets? Are you seizing assets? And on the, um, the export permits, what's that worth? And if I could put a third part in. Um, the, uh, the Premier of Alberta is talking about a global ban on um, uh, Russian oil and gas uh, imports. Uh, what would you think about that? These are all conversations that we've been having uh, throughout the past weeks. Uh, amongst our allies. We know that Russia is a significant source of uh, natural gas and oil for European partners. Uh, and one of the things that we've been doing over the past uh, number of weeks is ensuring that there are alternatives to Russia, uh, not just uh, to uh, make sure that uh, our friends and allies in Europe continue to be able to uh, function their economies and support their people, but to make sure that Putin uh, no longer draws uh, sustenance for his economy from selling those products around the world. Uh, in regards to sanctions, uh, any individual country can only have so much of an impact, particularly Canada, that doesn't have huge uh, trade with Russia, to be honest, since Crimea uh, in 2014. We have significantly decreased our interactions with Russia. But the cumulative impact of the un un unity in the West in standing strong on these sanctions is going to be significant. And to further speak about these sanctions, I'll turn to Minister Jolie. Thank you. So in response to your, uh, your question regarding permits, we're cancelling all uh, already issued permits and uh, pending permits. 
hundreds of permits are now being uh, cancelled and it is worth more than $700 million. Uh, it includes uh, companies in the aerospace sector, it includes companies that are in the technology IT sector, it includes also technologies that are in the minerals sector. These companies um, need to have permits to send their goods to Russia. Um, and so that's why this is how we as a government can really have a strong impact. If I may go back to your question that you asked about the impact of the, uh, uh, the international rule-based order, I think that Canada, the world needed Canada after the Second World War, and the, prime, the, the, the Deputy Prime Minister explained it very well. Um, I think that now the world needs even more Canada, because it is important that we reach out, yes, to the G7. You are listening to yes, um, the, to the Foreign Affairs Minister, uh, Melanie Jolie, on Canada's sanctions. We're going to take a break. Canada's imposed sanctions. I want to bring in retired Major General Dave Fraser. He's been listening in with us. And the question you all want to know, how wide is this war going to go? Can anything stop Russia? Are these sanctions even remotely enough? Where is this headed? What impact is this going to have? War in Europe for the first major time since the Second World War. Russia rolls into Ukraine. Nobody will understand the military better than Major General Dave Fraser. He's listening in. He is joining us next. And folks, if you want to text me about your concerns, we're all here on a, on a special edition of the Evan Solomon Show. Finding answers to all your questions. You're listening to The Evan Solomon Show. Folks, today we had a special edition of the program. It's not the edition we ever wanted to do, and I know it's a lot. There's a war in Europe. The world has just changed before our eyes, and, and this is not the kind of afternoon radio show that we want to do. I know I'll sp speak about this tonight on CTV's Power Play at 5 o'clock. That's what we do. We talk about politics and hard politics and the Emergencies Act and war. But this is an afternoon radio show. We want to live our lives. But this is too important. When the world changes and we're waiting for Joe Biden and the prime minister speaking right now, when Russia invades a European country from the north, the east, and the south, this is not a small operation. This is a war in Europe. Uh, what you do is you stop everything because you need to understand what's happening and are sanctions enough. And then you've you got to call someone like David Fraser, who is a retired major general. He's a decorated Canadian military officer, the first general to command American troops. In combat since the Second World War, when he was in Afghanistan, he served our country for 32 years. And uh, General Fraser joins me now. Always, Dave, good to have you on the program. I thank you for your service. Um, let's just go big picture and we'll go down. Um, this is a bigger invasion than almost anyone envisioned, even though we, we suspected it was possible. What is your assessment of what uh, Vladimir Putin is doing and the consequences of it, Dave Fraser? Evan, it's good to be with you. And this is much bigger than any one of us thought. I mean, it was a possibility, but what uh, Putin has done is he has lied to all of us, and all along he wanted a, let's, let's put the bottom line up front, a regime change inside of uh, Ukraine. He has, <clears throat> has nothing to do with the eastern provinces. 
This is about taking over Ukraine and making it a, so, a Russian satellite. Point final. The cost of that is enormous. Give us a military. What is he? What is he putting on the air and the ground from the the layperson? Massive airstrikes and military and, and missile strikes that paves the way for a massive ground invasion. What are you seeing, Dave Fraser? You're, you're the military man. You're the general. So last night in the early hours of this morning, what we saw were cruise missile attacks. We saw the insertion of airborne troops. We saw special forces. We saw the Russians full assault on all over, not just on the eastern provinces, but all over Ukraine to take out the command and control, the air defense, and any ability Ukraine has to interfere with the ground forces. At first light this morning, we saw further evidence of tanks rolling across, not just from Russia to the eastern provinces, but more, you know, disturbingly from Belarus and maybe even Belarusian uh, forces coming in from the north to actually try to put pressure on Kiev, of all places. And the Russians have taken the airports outside of Kiev. And this is most disconcerting. Because this is now no longer about the eastern province. This is about taking over of Ukraine. And the most troubling thing I've heard and seen is the fact that he put a threat, a blunt threat on all of us that if we intervene, he will act immediately with consequences that none of us have ever seen before. Is that a nuclear nuclear threat? threat? Is that a nuclear threat, General Fraser? That's nuclear. Absolutely. And this is why... Um, we have now just, he has destroyed the peace in Europe and put all of Europe at risk for a country that he just wants to control. And where does this stop is the question all of us need to ask. Your entire life serving in the military. In, you joined in the Cold War, Dave, uh, General Fraser. This is the moment that has been feared, an invasion of Europe by Russia. Not this was the Soviet Union, now it's Russia. Is NATO prepared for this? All we've done, there's going to be severe economic sanctions. Vladimir Putin had assumed that would happen. Not a surprise. What's the military potential response? Is NATO denuded? Is it weakened after years of underfunding that it can't do much? Is that the Putin bet? This is what I joined the army and prepared for, but never actually thought I'd see. And last night I saw it for real. This is absolutely shocking. And NATO has been weakened over the years because we went from a military alliance to essentially a political alliance that was successful. But in that intervening time, Putin has rebuilt his military capability. And this morning, he's used it. And we are no longer at an ability where, in fact, he's actually got the initiative. We are responding to him. So what are we going to do? And this is where the leaders and Biden has done a good job. Uh, The Secretary General, uh, Macron, they have all done well politically, but militarily, we are, unfortunately, we could end up going to a nuclear option faster than a ground option because of what's happened. General Fraser, uh, I'll tell you, even my kids are freaking out about this. Uh, let me just play you something, Anita Nan. She said 3,400 Canadian troops are on standby. Here's what she just said. We have also placed 
3,400 military personnel across all branches of the service on standby to deploy to the NATO response force should they be required. Tell me what you make of that response, what that means, what are Canada's capabilities, and what does that tell you, sir? Well, that's that's almost a brigade. So, I mean, that is good news. However, I my recommendation to the government is to take it one step further. They have taken and ordered 3,400 uh Soldiers, sailors, airmen, air women into the field to prepare for war, if if politically it's necessary. That sends the strongest message possible back to Putin that Canada is involved. It sends a message to our our NATO allies that Canada is prepared, not just preparing, but actually training and doing exactly what Putin did. We have to start acting in some ways, in a way that Putin will understand it, and that is through brute force, we are getting ready to go into a punching match. A with punching Putin. match? You think there'll be NATO soldiers on the ground in a punching match in Ukraine? No, no. And here's the sad part about this whole tragedy. I think Ukrainians are going to yet again repeat history that they faced with the Germans and again with the Soviets. And Ukraine may have to be sacrificed for the safety of Europe. Ugh. God, 41 million people. I'm speaking and, to General and, Dave Fraser. God, that that must that must gut you to say it, Dave. It, I hate war, and it does gut me right to the point where we are probably be standing at the border of Ukraine in Poland and preparing to say to Putin, "Don't ever cross that border into NATO territory. You will pay dearly for it." We can't keep threatening and not do something. And this is how wars happen. These are how we slip into wider, deadly conflicts. But at this point, we're not slipping. We are there. And it is Vladimir Putin who lied, who has broken the law and has escalated into the most dangerous situation. I'm retired Major General Dave Fraser. I know I'll be speaking to you a lot more in the days to come. Your insights Uh, will be critical to all Canadians. Uh, I want to thank everyone for listening. I know this is a difficult program. This is an important moment. The Prime Minister is still speaking. Joe Biden's about to speak. I will have a special edition of Power Play tonight at 5 p.m. Eastern on CTV News Channel. Keep listening to the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Hug your loved ones and keep an eye out. Our world has changed.